could make a whole sermon off like one title. Um, I'm not great with it. Um, this is the best I could do. So bear with me. Um, tonight though, when, um, I was approached to do this, um, usually I spend like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks in advance preparing for like one sermon, um, which I know is not always possible when you are a full-time pastor. Um, but, um, this one I had a week to prepare for. Um, and I, the, the thing that I felt like was in my spirit was the word faithful and more specifically God's faithfulness. And I know it's, uh, it seems like a general topic. It's like, oh, she's going to talk about how God is faithful. Well, of course he's faithful. Um, but I, there are a few things I want to point out about his faithfulness. Um, and maybe throw you guys a curveball at the end as well. So we're going to start by reading uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, which, by the way, is also on my shirt. So if you forget, it's up here. Just remember. <laughs> it says, Knowing therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 40 says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, God. We thank you for your spirit being here, God. We thank you for your anointing being here. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross tonight. God, hide me behind your glory. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray that the words, the message that you've put in my heart, that you've put in my mind, Lord, I pray that it would come out as you would have it to come out, Jesus. God, I pray that you would speak to the people tonight, speak to me as well, God. I pray that you would be glorified, and I pray that your word would come forth this evening, Lord. We give you all the glory, God. We exalt you, we magnify you, and we praise your precious and holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, Now, how many of you have ever heard of the book, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. I believe Judy Bloom wrote that. Yeah, I, when I was in uh, middle school and high school, uh, it, it was kind of a favorite. Judy Bloom was a favorite for all of us, um, which I think is might have been a little bit older <laughs> than that even, but it was a, a very good, um, she was a good author. Um, but basically, what the book is about is this girl named Margaret. And um, she's she's a preteen. She's um, I believe she's in middle school or getting ready to go into middle school, uh, 12, 13 or so. And um, she, she's faced with all of these questions, you know, going through puberty, boys, um, starting a new school. Um, and to make matters worse, her family has just moved her from her home in New York um, to this like little country town. <laughs> and um, she, none of her friends are there. Um, and she ends up going to this summer camp and she develops friendships and whatnot. Um, but kind of the pivotal um, question throughout the entire book is what should her religion be? Part of her family is Jewish. Part of her family is Christian. And so uh, she goes throughout the book, and um, she's constantly in this battle. And now she talks to God, though. There are moments throughout the book where she's like, oh, God, Johnny... Johnny be good or whatever. He, he, he's so cute. I love him. He, he mows our lawn and I love staring at him. And it's like, she keeps a diary with God and she talks to him. Um, but yet she has family, her mom and dad, they don't necessarily tell her what to believe. They say, if you want to be a Christian, you can be a Christian. If you want to be a Jew, you can be a Jew. And she's faced with even more controversy when grandparents come in 
one grandmother's like, well, of course, you're Jewish. You need to practice the Jewish traditions. Um, while the other grandmother's like, no, you're a Christian. This is what you should do. You should join the YMCA, not the JCC. And, and, and there's this constant battle, even so much to that. Um, at one point, she decides to give up on God. She says, God, you're not there. I don't want to believe in you anymore. I'm just going to forget religion in general. So she goes through that, and in the end, ultimately, she goes through trials, and she realizes she needs God, and she finds herself one day just talking to God. And, and anyways, it goes through the whole story. I don't want to talk about that necessarily, um, but it goes through the whole story, and she, finally, in the end, she develops a personal relationship with God. She says, God, I'm not going to be, quote-unquote, a Christian or Jewish, but I want you. That's what she—and she, she goes through all of this stuff to realize that God is a very specific person to her. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, like I said earlier, um, you hear the word faithful, and, and lots of things come to mind. Being faithful to your wife, um, faithful to your tithe paying, being faithful to your job, faithful to your children, your family, whatnot, um, and, and, being fa- and God being faithful to us. We so quickly, um, I, I think when we go through trials, people are like, oh, well, God's faithful. You know, this too shall pass. You're going to get through this, whatever. Um, but in the moment, it doesn't always seem like God is faithful. So to understand this a little bit better, I want to start by talking about something that um, tends to hinder our faith, something that tends to get in the way, tends to blind us, whether we're in a spiritual battle, whether we are going through some type of temptation, some type of test, um, I, I find that this is one of the greatest and root causes of fear and root causes of doubting God and a lack of faith. And that word is shame. People often wonder why they are unable to fulfill their God-ordained calling or why they are unable to live a life full of blessings and not curses. Peace and not torment, strength and not weakness, joy and not sorrow. But I'm going to tell you that in order to live out our purpose, or excuse me, the reason we're not living out our purpose is because of shame. The Webster Dictionary defines the word shame as being a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety, a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute, something that brings censure or reproach, also something to be regretted. And another definition I found was, quote, a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish doing. We are taught at a very early age to feel shame, though we may not fully understand what it is at that time. If a child's favorite snack is peanut butter and a tomato sandwich, and all the other children think that's weird, and they make fun of him for it, that child is taught shame, and he no longer feels accepted. And he probably thinks, oh, this is weird. I shouldn't do this anymore. So he forgets the peanut butter and tomato sandwich, and, and he loses, though maybe not an a, a intricate part of his personality, but he loses that aspect of himself. Think back to each of your own childhoods. Were there ever times in school, times in church, times in high school, times in your family even, that you felt humiliated or embarrassed because of a decision you made that you thought was right or that you thought was a good one? Remember the feeling you had of guilt, of self-pity, perhaps even nausea, over the fact that you had just done something you could not take back and the whole world, or at least what seemed like the whole world, had just saw it. 
The feeling of wanting to run away and hide, run under, uh, get into your covers, into your bed, and just stay there and never wake up again. To hide yourself from the rest of the world, even if only for a brief moment, well, that very feeling was shame. Shame can prompt us to toss away the good gifts that we are given, like that peanut butter and tomato sandwich. It teaches us to hide ourselves, to cower down wherever we can find a wall of protection. Shame pushes you down, and it prevents you from becoming all that you can be. It whispers lies to your soul. But in order to overcome this, we need to recognize three very important things. And I, I, I didn't necessarily want a three-point sermon, um, but this is something we need to understand before I really get to my sermon. Uh, so number one, we need to understand that shame, it separates us from God. Um, there's a story of a young girl I'm going to share really quickly. Um, she grew up in a Greek home, and some of you may know her, or at least know of her. Um, and she was raised in Australia, and she grew up to be a very mighty woman of God. And she's alive today. And like many other young women, she knew the influence of shame all too well by the time she was six. Um, this woman was Kristen Kane, big fan, maybe. <laughs> um, well, um, she was taught that women are to get married and have babies and not to have dreams, not to pursue their dreams, not to pursue a career, really. Um, that women shouldn't be smarter than men. Um, that women shouldn't really be have goals as far as academia. Um, there was one time she said she was in school and um, she, got, she had straight A's, I believe. It was a 4.0 average. And um, her teacher, this being in Australia, in a, a Greek area, um, sent a letter home to her mother saying that um, she needed to basically be dumber, that she shouldn't try so hard. Um, so she was taught from a very young age not to um, believe in herself. She was taught that her hopes, that her dreams, her visions, her plans didn't matter. Um, and she was taught that she shouldn't strive to be a leader. Um, now we know today that she is a very great leader in this world um, and in the kingdom of God, but um, she was taught those things. Um, and she was taught shame. And with shame, we are constantly trying to prove ourselves. Um, she, she would constantly try to prove herself. There were times she um, would uh, audition. Uh, she would apply to different schools, and often they would um, rebuke her. They would say, you know, you aren't good enough. And that just fed into this idea that she wasn't good enough, fed into the shame. And I'm here to say that shame constantly says, you aren't good enough. It says, do you really think you can do that? If you do this, God will love you. You're a sinner and you always will be. You will never amount to anything. You're just a woman or you're just a man. Why would God ever use you? Or you're just like your old man or just like your old lady. Why would God ever use you? And if you are not careful, if we are not careful as a church, we will let these things hinder us. We will let... uh, politics, we will let TV, we will let people in the tabloids, in the newspapers, whatever, we will let them destroy us. We will let them speak these lies to us. We will let the enemy speak lies to us and hinder us and destroy us. If we, like Pastor Tommy said today, we, we should stand up. We shouldn't, um, we, it's so easy for people to be offended today, but we, we shouldn't be the ones to be offended. We shouldn't be the ones to cower. We shouldn't be the ones to hide behind the shame. We shouldn't say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, Jesus is, yeah, he, he was, he was an old dude and he lived 2,000 years ago, but he's not really relevant today. Oh, we shouldn't give in to that. We shouldn't give into the shame. We shouldn't give in to the lies of the shame. 
Now, once we understand that shame can keep us from the very purpose we were meant to possess, we must understand that God never intended for us to know, to feel, or to experience shame. I'm trying to get through this. Um, In Genesis 2, we read about the lives of Adam and Eve and how they were both, quote, naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So just, I mean, think about this for a second. In today's society, it's hard to really imagine this, but they were, like, butt naked and didn't even care. They weren't ashamed. I mean, if we all were like that, we would think, oh, my word, what's going on here? (laughs) Uh, And it's, I'm sorry to be, like, so blunt, but, but we need to think of that at times. I mean, we need to realize that they were completely naked. And, And it wasn't just, like, a man and wife situation. It was, like, it, it, it was like a public situation. They were completely naked and they were not ashamed. They did not care. And this one verse is very verse. I'll, I'll, I'll get past this. This one verse defies the idea that shame is just a part of life. God never intended for his children to suffer the burden of carrying shame. The only reason shame ever entered this world was because of sin. And the story goes on, of course, to describe how once Adam and Eve had realized what they had done, that, quote, the sin entered the world, and along with it, the burdens thereof. They were so ashamed of themselves. And and it it wasn't like, um, oh, we just sinned. You know, they didn't know what sin was. It was, oh, my word, we're naked. They they were um, ashamed of that fact, and they didn't even realize it beforehand. Uh, So shame immediately entered at that moment. And thirdly, and, and this, this is really in my intro, so I'm really trying to get through this quickly. Uh, but thirdly, we need to understand that Jesus had delivered, has delivered us from shame. The word of God says that he, Jesus, has borne our griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses. He carried our sorrows and pains. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain each and well-being for us was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. So what this basically is saying right now, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are able to live a life free from shame. He took on the shame. He took on every burden. I can't, when I think about the cross, I can't even imagine what that felt like. There's only been one time in my life where um, I, I felt a physical release from a spiritual release that I had had. Um, and I'll never forget that because I, I think it reminds me, or at least allows me to think of Jesus and what he must have felt like when he was hanging on the cross. I mean, of course, the cross alone would have been physically painful. Um, if you don't know how crucifixion necessarily worked, I would... Um, I'll just tell you real quickly. <laughs> uh, basically, they suffocate. Um, you know, their bones, uh, some of you probably do, but essentially they suffocate. Um, they're hanging there, and in order to, um, you know, several days may go by, and um, in order to actually breathe or inhale, they have to practically lift themselves up, and, and everything's broken. I mean, their legs are broken. Uh, uh, it's Everything is broken, essentially, at that point, and so it's extremely painful, and they, they um, essentially suffocate and, and die at that point. Um, but, but when I think of not only the physical burden that he had, but also the physical burden that was brought on by the spiritual burdens, he took on all of our burdens. He took on all of our sin. He, I mean, let me tell you, sin can be very painful. It is. Uh, but sin can be physically burdensome, not just mentally, not just... I mean, if you are walking... I, I think, think of this. Um, 
Think of carrying a backpack full of bricks or, or um, a heavy suitcase, or, or if you've served in the military, think of how heavy that was that you had to carry every single day. Now multiply that by like thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. And I, I feel like that's what Jesus was feeling. Not only the physical weight of crucifixion, but also the physical weight of the sin, of the guilt, of the shame, of the humiliation that we all felt. And not just us, but everyone who has ever lived, everyone who had ever lived before that, and everyone who is going to live as well. I, 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 I cannot fathom how he did it, but he did for each and every one of us. And we'll get back on topic here. But um, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are able to live a life free of shame, free from guilt, humiliation, free from the feeling of being, quote, less than. Romans ten eleven says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be put to shame. Let me say that one more time. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be put to shame. So why are we going around with shame in our lives? Why, why do we not realize that um, we aren't supposed to have shame in our lives? Once we are able to fully grasp just what Jesus did for us, then we become one step closer to overcoming the power of shame. It is wonderful to feel the empowerment of the Spirit once we realize the power that we have through Jesus, our advocate. And um, this isn't necessarily part of it, but before I get to this next part, um, I want to say that we all have a choice to make once we realize that, yes, shame separates us from God. God never intended for us to know, feel, or to experience shame and that we are free from shame because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then we have to make a choice. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, she had to make the choice. 12 years. She suffered 12 years of um, bleeding. And um, I won't say what I have studied that bleeding to be. Um, But she suffered it for 12 years constantly, uh, and nothing would make it go away. She had doctor's visits, medications, uh, you know, herbs, whatever they used back then. And she, she literally, she felt the shame uh, of having this disease but then let alone that uh, she also had to be um, had to stay in a separate place in her little hut Uh, I I believe even a separate hut she wasn't allowed to be anywhere near anyone else she was considered unclean Um, and so imagine the shame uh, the guilt the the um, humiliation that she felt she couldn't go out and go bowling she couldn't go out and have dinner with um, or brunch with a lady she couldn't go out and have a relationship she couldn't even go out and have a career or get an education or do something for fun she couldn't even come to church because she was considered unclean. She had to stay away from everyone else. But I think of her, and I think of her faith. She heard about this guy, Jesus, and she heard about what he had done, and, and, and she went, she fought through the crowds. Um, if anyone would have seen her, they would have uh, um, been, been able, yeah, they would have either run the other way, or they would have been able to do something brutal to her because she wasn't supposed to be out. If she were to set... If she were to sit on a bench and she were considered unclean, the whole bench would have been considered unclean and no one else could have sat there. And she was completely isolated. And yet she said, this guy, Jesus, I've heard great things about him. I know what he can do. Um, He's my last chance. If I do not go to him, if I do not push through to him, if I do not continue on to continue to face to face him, basically, if I do not go to him, he will, then I will not be healed, and I will have to live like this, and I don't know if I can live like this. 
So basically she goes, um, she pushes through, she fights through, and she makes the decision to go and see Jesus. And we all know the story of how she is healed um, 12 years, 12 years of this burden, 12 years of the shame, 12 years of this humiliation, just gone, just like that, the moment that she touches his garment. So um, that was my intro. But uh, um, what I really want to say is... um, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, but when, when, when someone says faithfulness or God is faithful, um, we're so quick to say, amen, hallelujah, or yeah, God's faithful. Of course he is, you know, all those stories in the Bible, he was faithful. Um, but yet we, we know what the end is in the Bible. And, and it's so easy to say, yeah, God's faithful. God was faithful to the Israelites at the wall of Jericho. God was faithful to Noah. He saved his family. God was faithful to Rahab. God was faithful to Gideon. God was faithful to Moses. God was faith- faithful to uh, the Israelites, to the disciples. It's so easy to say that because we have read the end of the book. We know what the ending is. But can- let me honestly ask you, would you think you would have the faith that they had if you were in their positions? Do you think that you would have been like, yeah, I would have marched around uh, the the uh, walls of Jericho one time each day, and then on the sixth day, um, six times, and then shout my uh, shout my guts out on the seventh time? Yes, I would have done that. Or um, yes, I would have walked out on water if Jesus would have called me. Um, or I wouldn't have denied Jesus like Peter denied Jesus. Uh, can you honestly say that if you were in those positions, and I'm not here to necessarily point fingers, but can we honestly say that, yes, I would have been faithful in that, in that situation? Just think about that for a moment. So we, we, we understand, or at least we, we know, that God is faithful. So what are we supposed to do now? We know that this is true. We know God is faithful. There's evidence that God has been faithful. But do we believe it? We know he's faithful, but do we really believe that God is faithful? Like I mentioned earlier, some of the people who, were, who believed were Abraham, Noah, Esther. Esther's a big one. Gideon, Joshua, Rahab, the woman with the issue of blood. Sure, they could believe. But what about each of us in today's world? It's easy to say the world back then was so different. They had to believe, and they really had to believe. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have technology. They didn't have things they could just go to to get answers for. They couldn't just walk into Starbucks if they wanted coffee and get a coffee. They couldn't just, or scooters or whatever. They couldn't just walk down the street and, and get a sandwich or get food. They had to really work for their living. They had to work to survive. And yes, that's different. They had to trust God. But today, it's so easy for us to not trust God. It's so easy for us to just say, oh, I can do that myself, or I don't need God. Just like Margaret did um, in the book, there was a moment where she's like, God, you're just not there. You're just not helping me. You're not doing anything. Or I keep talking to you, and I don't hear anything back. I don't get any answer. And it's so easy to just say, I don't need God. I can do things on my own. I, I mean, and this is off topic, but why, why do you think there are so many proclaimed atheists or, or so many people who just don't? I have so many friends who have been hurt in the church who just don't, and professors, colleagues who just don't go to church because, one, they've been hurt, um, but two, they, they, they don't need God. They have 
everything they need or everything they think they could want or everything they think they would need. They have a car, they have a house, they have a nice job. They're in relationships. They have food. They have a decent amount of money. Um, they don't really need God. But I'm here to say, yes, God is faithful. But especially as Christians, we need to be faithful to him. It's not just up to God to be faithful. All of you who are married, all of you who are in relationships of some sort, think about that. It's not just up to one spouse or the other to do this or to do that or, 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 or anything like that. It takes two. It takes two to make a thing go right. I, I mean, it's very, um, it's two-sided. It's not just one person has all the responsibility, but both partners do. And, and that's the very same thing, which we all know. It's the very same thing with God. We all have to meet him halfway. We must participate. We must come to church. We must trust in him. We must, when pastor say, if pastor were to give a call and say, hey, let's march around the city, we must participate in that. We must come to prayer meetings. We must come to church. We must read our Bibles every day. Um, I, I, I heard a pastor one time say, um, oh boy, how did that go? If you're only, something like if you're only coming to church one day a week, then you're going to be anemic, uh, and, and you're not reading your Bible throughout the week. Uh, something like that. I can't, oh goodness, I can't remember. Uh, but that's essentially it. If, if we're coming and expecting the pastor to pray, and we're just like, oh, amen, yes, okay, you know, and not praying ourselves, if we uh, just focus on the screen and read, which is great, I'm not saying it's bad, but if we just focus on the screen and read the scriptures up there and never actually open our Bible, then why do we have a Bible? If we're not praying, if we're not fasting, there's so much more. I mean, believe me, I just figured this out a few years ago. There's so much more than even just reading your Bible, just coming to church. There's fasting. Fasting, oh my word, I'll preach on that sometimes, but fasting opens up a whole nother level, a whole nother spiritual level. And if you've not fasted in your life, then you've missed out. And not just on the, the physical rewards. That's great, you know, but the spiritual blessings, the spiritual, I mean, it truly, it opens up, it, it breaks through another uh, barrier, another level. If you think of the spiritual, um, in levels. It breaks through. There's like a glass ceiling. It just pushes through and you're in another level with God. It takes you deeper into his word. And not only, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to show this later, man. I went through something last year um, for months and it even led up in, in several months had led up to that as well. And I fasted um, longer than I ever had at the beginning of the year for a very significant time. Um, and and I, I felt, Judge Franklin always does it at the beginning, his church does at the beginning of the year. And I thought, I'm going to do that this year. Um, and I did it. And I'll tell you, this thing I went through, I'll share more about it later, but this thing I went through, if I had not fasted, oh my word. And my mom's told me this several times. She said, God kept you. He was faithful to you because you were faithful to him at the beginning of the year. And I believe that with everything that I am, I would not be here. And I'm not saying I would have committed suicide, but I would not be in church. I would not be up here singing. I would not be up here preaching if God had not been faithful and if I was not faithful to him to begin with. So second, I, I want to, uh, or excuse me, third, whatever point we're on. We say, uh, we ask, how do we believe? So yes, we know that God is faithful. Now we're starting to believe. Yeah, God is faithful. I mean, there's evidence in the Bible of all these people I've listed. Abraham, uh, goodness, even Jesus. Jesus returned. The, uh, 
after he uh, was crucified, he said he would rise up from the dead and that he would turn, and he did. He was faithful in that aspect um, with Esther, Gideon, um, even with the disciples, with Peter, with all of them. God is faithful. There's evidence that he was faithful. Um, but how do we believe? What, what if, for me, this was like the most, the first significant trial in my life. Sure, I dealt with other things, smaller things, but this was, um, it was a back-to-back with a spiritual battle even though this other one was kind of spiritual. Um, and and I, I think back to it, and I think that was the most significant trial I've ever been through, and, and that was the time my faith grew. That was the time I discovered who God was for myself. So I want to read something real quick. Um, speaking of Kristen Kane, great book, Unashamed. Um, but let me read this. So that this is how he, he tests us. This is how he grows our faith. God knows how to grow trust. He knows how to plan it, how to nourish it, how to repair it when it's broken, and how to restore it when it's been lost. God is in the trust-growing business. It's so easy for us to say, oh, well, I just don't have faith. Or, and I've done this before. God, increase my faith. <laughs> you know, and we don't really understand what that means. Um, but he uses the very tool that the enemy uses to try to stop us. He uses our fear. Fear exposes the limits of our present capacity. Fear exposes the limits of our present capacity. If, we, we, if there's a glass ceiling and we just can't push, push through it, fear exposes that limit. But it does not expose our potential capacity. Think about this. When you come face to face with fear, do you know what you are looking at? Do you recognize that this is fear? You are looking at the very next place where God is preparing to build your trust. We must put more faith in what we do know about God than in what we don't know about the future. We must walk in obedience, trusting that God is good and that there is no darkness in him at all. The longer we walk with God, the stronger our trust grows and the smaller our fear shrinks. Our faith develops. So you have to go through trials, unfortunately. And there's a scripture, I I believe it's in John, it it literally says you will go through trials. We have to go through trials, that we must go through trials. Uh, And in John 16, 33, it says, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. And this is Jesus speaking, so we know know it's true. I mean, it's in the Bible. Uh, But this is Jesus specifically saying this. It's not someone writing about Jesus, or it's not someone um, writing about... uh, their vision or their epiphany from God. This is Jesus himself saying this. In the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And in James 1, 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or various trials, knowing this, that the trying or the testing of your faith worth, uh, excuse me, yeah, yeah, produce, worketh, produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect. Let patience have her perfect work. So, so don't, um, oh man, wow. I went through, I went to um, Bethel Music, their worship school this last summer, and a surprise for me, Christine Kane was there. It wasn't for me, but Christine Kane was there. Uh, and I was so excited. And, and she talked about spending time in the dark room. So this isn't part of this, but she talked about spending time in the dark room. And, and especially with the room full of like worship leaders, um, at times you tend to have some egos in there um, or just musicians. You tend to have egos. You tend to have people who think they're, you know, the bee's knees. And um, 
yeah. Uh, so basically what she talked about was spending time in the dark room. And it's so easy for us, even when we get, if we get a call or if we get uh, a message or anything, whatever we do that, we want to go out and just do it immediately. Um, but God still has to work in on us. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read this one more time. It says, um, let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire or complete. There's a little something, I don't know if, I've never really done this, but I, I've um, heard about it and read a little bit about it. But um, if, if you think about photography, are any of you photographers or no photographers or have ever? No. Okay. <laughs> well, um, basically, photographers, um, true photographers who use like dark rooms and whatnot, um, they, they take their photos and then they have to put them in a dark room, basically. And it has to stay dark. If there's any light exposed to it, Crystal knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> if there's any light exposed to it, then the picture's ruined. And, and that's the very same thing. That's what uh, Paul is speaking about here. Uh, John, good Lord. John is speaking about here. Um, he's, he's saying, um, let patience have her perfect work. So he, he's saying, um, don't come out from the dark room quite yet. Because if you step into that light, if you step out of my safety, if you step out of the care of God, of the nurturing of God, of the development of God, if you step out of that, if you step out on your own, if you do that first, if you say, oh, no, I'm going to do things this way. Or if you say, no, God, I I believe in you and I trust you, but I'm going to try this. I think this is better. Like Pastor said this morning, this is what you see. This is what I see, God. This is where I need to go. Um, Yeah, you're telling me to stay back here, but I see this. I mean, this is, of course. This is, has to be where I have to go. And if you step out into that, the light will destroy you. The light will kill you. And that light could be anything. It, it, could, it could be pride. It could be um, a, a faulty relationship. It could be uh, the wrong job. It could, it could be anything. It could just, it's the wrong decision. And if you step out before God um, is finished with you in the dark room, if you step out before patience has had her perfect work in you, you will be destroyed. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire or complete, lacking nothing. So the key to developing uh, this God-tested faith or, or this, um, well, that's basically it. The God-tested faith that we need is focus. Um, I mentioned briefly um, a little bit about this thing I went through this last year, really kind of over the last year and a half. And... Um, I had to make myself focus on God. Um, Eddie James has a song called Magnify, and it basically, he kind of talks about it a little bit before, but he he says when we magnify God, man, this is powerful. When we magnify God, when we put God above the enemy, when we put God above our present situation, um, Satan is so quick to make us focus on uh, to make us focus on him, to make us focus on the problem in front of us, um, what, what, whatever that may be. I, I mean, close your eyes for a second. This is really off topic, but everyone close your eyes for a second. I want you to think about a particular time in your life where um, it, it was really dark, where uh, um, perhaps you were in depression Perhaps you wanted to commit suicide. Um, maybe you feared for your life. Maybe you were in a city or a situation. Um, women, perhaps you were in a situation with a man. Uh, men, perhaps you were in a situation with another man or, or um, in some fight or something. Um, it may be a, a moment where you feared for your life, but think about this. Now, now think about how you felt. 
think about how terrified and, and really think about a terrifying moment. Think about a moment where you just, you were like, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't understand. I can't escape. There's no way out. Perhaps if you felt like everything was going to be lost, think about how you felt and try to remember what you focused on. Were you, were you thinking about the problem in front of you? Were you focusing on the enemy? Were you focusing on his lies? You're not good enough. You can't do this. You can't escape this. You're not going to heaven. You've done this, this, and this. God really doesn't save people. God doesn't love you. God will never use you. You're a mistake. You were, you, you were supposed to be killed in that abortion. That, that was just a mistake. You're, you're going to be killed one of these days. Or, you know, what's the point of life? Uh, and think about that and think about how you felt. Now think about what I have said tonight and think about what I said to focus on. When we, you can open your eyes, um, when we magnify God, when we take our eyes off of this level, when we take our eyes off of the world, when we think, take our eyes off of the spiritual battle or physical battle, whatever is going on up here, and we look above it, we look above at God, we look above at the creator, we look above at the Lord, we look above at the man who is in control, the man who is above, who sees what is going on. We look a man at the man and above to him, and he is the one who is control. He, he says, Kelsey, I'm still in control. I I still have my hand on you. I'm not going to take my hand off of you. Think of Job. Man, I'm just not uh, on my outline, but think of Job. Think about how he felt. I cannot say that I would have trusted God through all of that, but everything he went through, he lost his friends, he lost his reputation. There was nothing he could say, oh, but I still have this. Oh, but I still have that. God was all he had. And even then it felt, it seemed as though God has turned his back on him. But he says, one of my favorite scriptures, he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And that's what we have to do. When we are on our knees, when we, when we are on our knees and we feel like the world is coming against us, when we feel like the enemy is coming against us and we have nowhere to turn, when we have nowhere to turn, no one to turn to, when we feel completely alone, when we feel like even God has left us, that's when we need to look up. That's when we need to look up and say, God, I don't know where you are. I don't see you. God, I don't even feel you. But I know that I know that I know that you are there, that you have your hand upon me, that you will not let me go, that you died for me. He fought for us too. He's not going to do anything good for me. He's just going to go to some remedial job every day. No, he's not going to say that. He fought for each and every one of you and all of those people, all of those people in the world.
everyone, it seems like they hate you. People who come in, they seem to hate you or think you don't know how to do your job. And it, you may go home, your, your spouse is like, oh, no, 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 whatever, you know. Then they're giving you problems as well. Your kids never call you. He will try and try and try, but we need to stay here just like Job and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, yet will I praise him because he is faithful. I am here to say he is faithful. In those moments of despair and of hopelessness, of giving in, we need to praise him. We need to magnify him. We need to exalt him. We need to lift him high above everything that's going on here. We need to get up to that level, that level above the battle, that level above the spiritual warfare. And we need to be with God. We need to get above all of that. And so you say, how do I get above all of that? Well, you praise him. You magnify him. You worship him. You exalt him. You don't exalt what's going on down here. You say, no, Jesus, I lift my eyes to you. That song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It goes through and it says, and the things of this world will be strange will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace or something like that. And that's true. When we take our eyes, I mean, I am here to tell you, this is what I had to do. We take our eyes off of what is going on. And, and it may still be in the back of our mind. It may still, you may still feel the enemy. You may still feel trapped. You may still feel like there's no way out. But when we begin to praise, when we begin to lift up our heads, lift up our voice, something changes. Something changes. I want to read one thing here. Um, um, so like I said earlier, Job chapter uh, 13, verse 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And uh, I want to read the footnote in my Bible real quick. It stood out to me. It says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Expresses the unquenchable faith of one who lives by faith and not by sight. Even when it appears that God himself has turned against Job, he will still trust in God. And let me just tell you, God will never turn against you. Later in Hebrews it says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And oh my word, I didn't mean to get into this big testimony share and service, but I I had to quote every possible scripture I could remember. Um, Habakkuk, uh, oh, let me read it. It's really, really good. Um, Habakkuk oh, 3, 17 through 18, it says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I had to quote every scripture I could imagine. Um, Nothing, nay, in, in all these things, they are more than conquerors to him through, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither height nor depth, um, nor um, angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I had to remind myself um, that by his wounds we are healed, that uh, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I had to go through these things and constantly remind myself. And let me tell you, like Pastor said, there were times I did not want to lift my hands. I, I just, I, I felt so broken. I felt so weak. I felt like I could not lift my hands. And maybe you can't lift your hands, but you can 
can lift your voice. At the very least, you can say, God, I praise you. God, I thank you. God, I glorify you. God, I magnify you. And like Pastor said today, it begins to change. The situation begins to change. You begin to change. You begin to realize, yes, God, you are greater. Yes, God, you are the creator of this universe. You are the creator of me. You are in control. You are in charge. People often think... um, there's a battle between good and evil, that there's dualism, uh, that, that God's this guy over here and, and the enemy's this guy over here and they're constantly fighting back and forth trying to, you know, win for the, the fate of all humanity. But th- that's not the case. Satan is way down here. I mean, way, he's under our feet even and God is the one who is on the throne. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who It is so, it, let me tell you, the news is depressing today. It really is. And, and we think, what's the point? As, we think, what's the point as Christians? We, we think, why, why why should we go out? We should just come in and sit on our pews, our comfortable chairs. You know, mine's got my nameplate right here. We think we should just sit on that every single Sunday, and then that's good enough. We, we think we can come in and just sit, listen to pastor, sing a few songs, whatnot, you know, and, and maybe not even move, just sit there and sing. And, 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 and we think that's okay, and we think that's what church is. Um, but, oh, my word, let me tell you, on the day of Pentecost, they weren't just sitting in their chairs and they weren't just uh, clapping their hands a little bit or, or, no, 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 they were up. They were seeking God. They were praying. They, they, it wasn't, and the Bible says, and I, you all tell me what the numbers, I don't remember what the numbers are, um, but the Bible says that, that lots of people, uh, maybe like 5,000, I don't know, um, went in, but only like 120 were filled. And, and so we know that some of those people did not tarry. Some of those people lost faith. Some of those people got tired hired and left and they missed out. They missed out on um, being filled with the Holy Spirit. They missed out on Pentecost. So I'm like really off topic here. Um, But yes, we we need to, um, we need to praise him. We need to magnify him. We need to exalt him above everything else. Uh, That's what it was. Um, The news. We need to exalt him above that. We need to exalt him above what we think is, what we see going on in the world. We, we, it really, it makes me wonder sometimes. I I hear Christians say, oh, oh my word, you know, what's, I mean, I say things like, what's the world coming to, whatever, but, um, but I know what the world is coming to, but I hear Christians who say, oh, I I don't understand this. Why is this happening? Or why are there, are there diverse, you know, earthquakes and floods? And why is all this going on? And why are there wars and rumors of wars? And it's in the Bible, people. I, I mean, we know this is going to happen. We know this is going to happen. So, so why do we seem so astounded? Why do we 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 uh, we look at these things and think, God, where are you? Why are you letting all this happen? We know it is going to happen, but we are the ones who are supposed to stand up and say. God is still in control. We are the ones who are supposed to be reaching out to those who are lost, to those who truly don't know what is going on, to those who feel like they're in despair, to those who feel like they have no hope. We should be reaching out to them and saying, let me tell you who Jesus is. It's going to be okay. This world is, this world will pass away, yes, but if you know Jesus, it's going to be okay. Um. I shared um, a little of this, um, and I'll try to wrap things up here, but, um, you know, these things never go the way you plan. It, something happens, and it always, <laughs> you get off somewhere else, but um, uh, I, I, I want to share, I, I will share um, 
just a little bit more um, the, the thing I went through um, a couple of years ago. I want to say it was 2016. It was actually, I want to say it was November 8th or 9th of 2016. And um, stuff had happened. And uh, uh, anyways, uh, I, 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 it just hit me one day that I was lukewarm. I was a lukewarm Christian, and um, I, I was, it wasn't like I was reading the scripture, you know, he's going spew, to spew you out of his mouth. It wasn't like I was reading that. It just it hit me. Kelsey, you're a lukewarm Christian. Um, you know, you go, you go to church. Yes. Um, I think I was even singing and leading worship at that time. And um, you do that, you know, I've always been known as a Christian at my school. Um, never mocked for it. You know, I, it was always cool. Kelsey's a Christian um, or whatever, but, it, you know, it... I look back and well, I won't get into that, but um, anyways, um, you know, I, I'm a Christian and I thought, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, people know they can come to me they, if they need to talk, if they need to talk about Jesus. Um, you know, I'd like to people if they had um, issues, they'd talk to me. I think that's mostly because my mother's a mental health therapist and I don't know, they thought I was the same. I don't know. Uh, but I, um, I, I had this certain persona and um, I thought, yeah, that's good enough. That's what a Christian is supposed to be. Um, but it just hit me one day. I'm a lukewarm Christian, and really, I'm just lukewarm. Um, so ultimately, things started to change. I started to change. I started reading my Bible more, and and not just reading the Bible, but actually studying the Bible, actually reading all the footnotes, taking hours to get through, you know, one chapter, um, using uh, uh, the the things that you what was it Concord? Commentary, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, commentaries and things. Um, reading those to really study the Bible. And oh my word, so much opened up to me. And then I went on this fast and I found myself praying for hours. I found myself in my room. My mom found me praying for hours in my room and, and um, seeking God more than I'd ever sought him before. And let me tell you, that was great and it was wonderful. But there came a moment where all hell broke loose on me and I was put to the test. This faith, all this training that God had prepared me um, with was put to the test and my faith was tested. And it was kind of back to back. There's a spiritual situation I dealt with um, that I'd previously dealt with and just never really had gotten the victory over. Um, but I have it now. Um, and then there was a physical one, stuff that was taking place um, in the world. And... Um, Boy, it was uh, scary. <laughs> it was really scary. And um, I even, you know, there were times I even questioned my salvation. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, nev- I never, I don't remember ever saying, God, where are you? But I, I, re- I remember thinking, I remember thinking it. I never, I don't remember ever asking him that. But I remember thinking, where is God? Why is this going on? And, and um, it, it, what's happening? Why is this happening? God, I just spent these last good Lord, nine months, I don't know, all, more than that, over a year, um, digging deeper into your word, God, digging deeper into you, trying to draw closer to you, and not to be some super Christian, but to be a better person, to be better, to be closer to you, to have a better relationship with you, and I thought, why? I, I thought, I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do, um, but I realize now that that was testing my faith, that it was a trial, and that... It, that probably would have happened regardless of what I had done the year and a half before. That I don't. Yes, I believe Satan was a, a little scared when I did what I did before. Um, but I, I don't believe that he just hit me because of that. I believe God. That that would have happened. These trials that I went through would have happened regardless. But God had mercy on me, and He saw me though that year and a half before, and, and 
put a spark in my heart, made me realize I'm lukewarm, and prepared me and trained me that year and a half before. And like I said earlier, I would not be here if it were not for him. I would not be here if I had not done that fast. I would not be here if I had not studied his word. So I, I, uh, I ask you, what are you doing? What are you not doing? Are you reading your word daily? Are you just reading your Bible just to read the Bible or to say you've read the Bible? Are you coming to church because you feel obligated? Or are you coming to church because you hold a position here in church? I ask, why are you a Christian? Why do you do this? And just just think about it for a second. We, we are raised perhaps a particular way. Um, that can change, though. And... Um, uh, why, why are we Christians? Why are you specifically a Christian? I've gotten off topic. Think about that, though. Why are you a Christian? And um, what does God mean to you? Who is he to you? Is he what everyone else says he is? Is he's he's a savior of the world? He's the creator of the universe. He's um, Alpha and Omega, Prince of Peace. Do you use these words that everyone else has said or that someone else has already taken, or do you have a word for your own? Do you say he's my savior? He's my he's the merciful one. He's my faithful one. He's my friend. He's the one who never left me. He's the one who rescued me. He's the one who loved me. He's, he's the one who saw me. He's the one who just saw me. He's the one who took me, uh, who saved me, who took me out of this situation, who took me out of this abuse and saved me. He's the one who's cleansed me. He's the one who's delivered me. Deliverer. Um, he's the one who provides for me. Who is God to you? And um, I learned, in, in, throughout all of this, um, I learned two things. Um, and when I went to this um, kind of institute thing, um, there were lots of people there uh, who believed in things differently than I did. Um, but I had to learn to worship God regardless. Um, and I had to w- learn, on my, bed, in my, on my uh, bedroom floor, I had to learn how to worship God without music, which is something I'm so used to. Um, I had to learn to just raise my hands. I had to learn to just sit still in his presence and, and to just glorify him for who he is. I had to learn to just say, okay, Jesus, you are God. You are Lord and I am yours. I had to learn to get away from all the noise. I had to learn to get away, to set myself aside from all the distractions, to to uh, get out from behind, uh, you know, my mother's faith or my uh, my upbringing and um, what, you know, the uh, church I was at the time, I had to get out from behind the pastor's beliefs, the um, other, the position I was in, those beliefs, uh, I had to get out from behind everyone else's um, idea of who God was. And I had to discover who God was for myself. And so I learned how to worship and I learned who God really is at least who he is to me, and he changed me. So going back to this, going back to faith, um, yes, he is faithful, but let me tell you, he changed me because I went through this, because he allowed me to go through this. God doesn't just let the enemy loose and say, okay, do whatever you want to do. If you want their soul, you can have it. No, no, no. God 
has his hand upon everything. He's in control. Satan, just like Job, he only had so far he could go. There's quite a a links he could go to, uh, but there was only so far he could go. God never just lets the enemy loose and say, yeah, take them. Take whoever you want to take. I'm done. I I am tired of waiting on them. I'm tired of constantly um, saving them, constantly rescuing them, constantly forgiving them. Just take that. He doesn't say that. He, like I said, he fought so hard for each and every one of us. He's not just going to give you over to the enemy. He's not just going to let you go. He is going to continue to fight for you. But I learned myself how to be faithful to him. I learned that even when I don't feel like it, when I don't feel like worshiping, I have to lift my hands. I have to say, God, even if you can't lift your hands, if you can't stand, just say, God, I praise you. I glorify you. I magnify you. God, I exalt you. I believe in you. I trust in you. And there were times it was hard to trust in him. I, 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 I thought, God, why? Why is this? I never, I don't remember ever saying, God, why? Uh, but I, I remember feeling it. I, I remember feeling, why is this happening? Or, uh, or why is he allowing this to happen? I thought, and again, the spiritual thing I dealt with, I dealt with years, years before when I was a kid. Uh, I thought, God, what, what is this? I thought it, that was a childish thing. I, I'm so much older. I'm more tour now. Um, why am I dealing with this again? Um, but I, I realized there was a purpose in that. Um, there's always a, pur- oh, I can't find it, but let me just say, there's always a purpose in everything that God allows. He, he, he wouldn't just allow something to take place, um, just to take place. Let me read, um, oh goodness, in Job, um, Yes, Job chapter 42, verse 12, it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. That was his reward. That was what he received for being faithful to God. There's always, always a purpose in everything that God does. In every trial you go through, in every uh, um, burden, every temptation, there's always going to be a purpose. And one of those specific purposes, one of the the most reoccurring purposes is just the testing of our faith, the developing of our faith, the developing of our focus on him, reminding us that, hey, we're not in charge, we're not in control, but God is. That we know who is in control and that he he will fight for us, that he loves us, that he will never let us go. I'm going to read one thing, and I, I promise I will wrap up here. Um, but uh, um, this is in the same book, but I uh, quickly, I want to share. When um, there was a moment I was on my bedroom floor, and, and kind of like I was doing earlier, um, I was, I was just there. I was in kind of the fetal position. I was just hunched over, and I just, I, I just felt surrounded. I, I, I thought, God, I... I I, I could not feel him. For the first time in my life, I really could not feel God there with me. I could not hear him. I, I, I couldn't just, I, I couldn't make myself feel him. It's easy for us to do a little dance and do a little singing. It's easy for us to allow music to sway us. It's easy to allow music or, or words or, or um, shouting or, you know, certain inflections in our voice to really hype us up. But I couldn't even do that. I was just there and I was surrounded. And for a second, 
it's it's as if I could see the enemy around me. It's as if I was completely cornered, that that he was getting ready to destroy me, getting ready to take me out. And there is a brief moment of mercy. There is a moment where God had enough and where he looked down at me. And it's as if I could look up. and, And I didn't physically look up, but in my mind I could. And it's as if my spirit could see God right there. It's as if he was looking down on me and felt the same pain, felt pain for me. It's as if he knew I had to go through this, just like Job. Job had to go through that. There was a very specific purpose as to why he had to go through that. There was a specific purpose as to why I had to go through this, but God had mercy. He had mercy on me. He had mercy on Job, and he looked down, and he let me know that he was there, and I could not feel him, and I could not touch him. I could not, I couldn't sense him even, but he was there. And that gave me enough faith. It gave me enough strength to continue to say, God, I praise you. I can't do much right now, but I praise you and I exalt your name. I worship you. I magnify you. God, you are greater. It gave me enough. God is merciful. And I want to read this quickly. It it says... uh, yeah, so, so this is Christina, and she she um, was sexually abused for years as a child by a family member. And she uh, she basically was a. Uh, I'll just read all this. It says, "God led me to a counselor, a woman known for her deeply spiritual, prayer based ministry to those who had suffered trauma." It was another lap. One day, as she and I were in deep prayer together, I experienced a vivid memory of one specific horrific event of abuse, and I started sobbing, describing the scene to her, reliving every emotion of the little girl I had been. God does not care. He does not care, I said, my body heaving with sobs. I cried out to God in that room, asking him to stop this from happening to me, but it didn't stop. And where is Jesus in this scene, the counselor asked. And all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, while seeing every detail of the room where the abuse was occurring, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus there, too, in the room. And Jesus, too, was weeping. He was weeping for me. He was weeping for all the pain and all the wrong that sin was doing to me. To this little girl he loved. And something broke inside of me. Something hard and rigid melted at that moment. Jesus saw me in that room. He saw me. Sometimes I, I think people just need someone to look at them. It's just, this is such a fast-paced society. And so often we just, how, how many times are there people, um, homeless people sitting on the side of the road and we just think, oh, that's another one of those hobos. They they just like to drink. And I know, I know a man, one man, who was not an alcoholic, but he lost his job. Great career, ended up homeless, ended up on the side of the road. And and people look at him with the same stereotype as someone who probably has thrown everything away because of drinking. Um, But how many times do we just look past people like that? Do we look past people who um, seem seem okay, you know, or they just seem annoying? Um, There's a man we, we, we went and saw, he had jumped off the golden gate bridge and he had survived. Um, And, um, he, uh, he said the entire time, he took a bus down there, and he said the entire time that he um, was going there, he kept 
thinking, he kept thinking, if I, I just wish someone would stop me. I just wish someone would come by and say something. Hey, man, are you okay? Hey, man, what's going on? Do you want to talk? Or, hey, I hope you have a good day, man. And, and, and to make matters worse, the bus driver was a jerk to him. So he ended up doing it. Um, but he's alive today. And, and I think how many times do we do that to people? Um, how many times? Well, we can be so cynical at times. But God, God is not cynical. God is merciful. And, and I mean, side note, we need to be more merciful like God. Uh, we need to love people like God loves people. Um, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. But God is merciful. Just as she has said here, just as I have said, God is merciful. God is merciful towards us. He always will be. He's able to reach down and say, or, or you know, maybe he's not even able to reach down at that moment. He's able to say, I am right here seeing what is going on. I am right here with you. I know you have to deal with this. I know you have to go through this alone right now, but or it feels like you're alone right now, but I am right here with you. And, uh, Anyways, uh, she said, he cared deeply and it broke his heart. He agonized with me. And the abuse happened not because I was bad or because he did not care. Bad things happen in a sin-bent fallen world. And those bad things grieve him deeply. It mattered to him. I mattered to him. He never let me out of his sight, ever. And I saw it for myself, and it changed me in this deeply affected area forever. He had been guiding me to this moment of freedom all of my life. He loved me that much. And and that is why... Yes, things happen. This world, like she says, is, is sin-bent. It's full of, of sin. There's the prince of this world. He, he, he um, has his way in this world. But God, God is still in control. And God cares deeply enough for us to reach down and say, hey, I'm still in control. I still love you. I'm grieving with you. I am I, I'm sorry. I am feeling this pain with you. But I still love you. I'm still going to rescue you. God is still faithful. And so finally, in conclusion, um, I'm going to, I'm going to read a few things. Um, we'll share one more story, one more scripture, I should say. Um, yes, we need to be, um, God is faithful to us, but we also need to be faithful to him. And, um, I, I think of, well, yes, we need to be faithful to him. Um, and so often shame can can uh, get in the way of that. So often we can feel inadequate. So often we can feel less than. Um, and yet God still chooses us. God still loves us. Uh, in Luke twenty two fifty four through sixty two, and it's again in Matthew. Um, both of them are. are I would read both of them, but it talks about the denial of Jesus. Peter flat out denied Jesus. I mean, a few verses earlier he says. Jesus, I'll never deny you. Uh, he says it three times. He says, I will never deny you. Uh, this will never happen. And, and yet moments later, he denies him. He, the first time he says, no, I don't know this man, you know, and he can, he makes an oath. This is like swearing on the Bible, you know, uh, on perjury or whatever. Uh, do you swear to tell the whole truth? Nothing but the truth. And so help you God. Um, that's, that's as if that's what he was doing is making an oath. And then in Matthew, it says that the third time he begins to curse and swear. So he's like, no, I don't blankety blank blank. No, that blankety blank blank man or, and and uh, you see this this holy godly man turn just like that and he denies jesus three times and he doesn't do so elegantly i mean he curses he swears he makes an oath he 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 doesn't just commit the one sin of denying he commits all these other sins as well uh, and um 
so, so you know, the story and the, the cock crows and Jesus looks at him. I, I like the version in um, Luke, I believe. It, it says Jesus looks at him. Jesus looks and he, he, he's beaten. He's bloody. The, I mean, his eye is bruised. It's purple. It's swollen. And he just looks at Peter. And in that moment, Peter goes, Peter goes and he weeps bitterly. It's not just, oh, boo-hoo, you know, I just denied Jesus. It's what have I done? And yet we see over an axe, couple books later on that Jesus chooses Peter. He calls Peter to go to, uh, I can't think of this, the town, but he goes um, to speak to Cornelius and he calls Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And at that moment, that's when the Holy Spirit, um, Gentiles, us, you and I, we're not Jewish. So all of the Gentiles are able to receive the Holy Spirit as well. And so I say that to say that God is faithful, even when we make huge mistakes or what seems like huge mistakes. Uh, I mean, denying Jesus, uh, even selling Jesus, you you know, uh, what Judas did, even in selling Jesus, even rebuking him, uh, he still is faithful to us and, and he still has a purpose for us. Let me tell you, you know, you, you, always, you always hear um, um, this joy that I have, you know, the world didn't give it to me, this purpose, whatever. It, it's, it, it's true for this purpose. God gave us all a very specific purpose, and, and your neighbor can't take it from you. Uh, the enemy can't take it from you. We can't even take it from ourselves. If God has a very specific purpose for each of us, then he's going to see it through. We, we can't make a mistake big enough. The only way we could do that is, is by um, walking away, and, and, you know, that may take... Uh, put a delay in it. But if we come back to God, then he'll say, yeah, here it is. I've been waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. And and he's faithful to us. And so finally, I will wrap this up here. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the profession or the confession of our faith, our hope without wavering. For he is faithful that promised now, what exactly did he promise? In Romans ten thirteen, it says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So when the enemy comes against you and says, um, you're not really going to heaven, you're not really saved, we can go here and say, no, but God promises whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Satan, you're, you're lying. I mean, first of all, he's, you know, the king of lies. Um, Jesus, the, the, the man himself, says that I will be saved. And I am saved because of that. Um, and, and next, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's another promise. Um, you think about the covenant that was established in the Old Testament. Um, a, a covenant is a promise. Or a, a covenant could be seen as um, uh, a, a promise. I, I mean, and like a... a uh, by binding, like a binding contract. Uh, it, it, it's, it can't be broken necessarily. Um, and, and this is what a promise is in the eyes of God. It's easy for us to break our promises, um, but with God, he's not going to break those promises. So um, to close, <laughs> I'm going to try to close here. Um, we need to understand several things when it comes to the faithfulness of God. We need to understand several things when it comes to us being faithful. Number one, uh, if you can click back through those slides, maybe, um, possibly. Um, just one is that um, shame separates us from God. Perfect. And the next slide, 
God never intended for us to know, to feel, or to experience shame. And we, we go back to thinking of Adam and Eve, and uh, you know they were naked, and they were unashamed, and, and they weren't supposed to feel shame. Um, but the moment sin entered the world, they felt shame. Shame came. Guilt came. Humiliation came. Um, and then go to that next slide. The third one is that Jesus has delivered us from that shame. And so we understand these things. We realize we have a choice we have to make. We have to choose to believe. And we, we think, oh, but it's hard. I mean, you know, things are different today. Things are harder today. Um, and yet they're not. We have to choose to believe in God just as he has chosen us. It says, before I, form, uh, before I called you, before I um, formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you by name. He, if someone can take, have that much love for us, can, it can take the time to care for us like that. I, the very least we can do is love him back. The very least we can do is have faith and trust in him and believe in him. And um, it, to kind of finish things up here, um, uh, going, uh, yeah, the, the next point um, was that, uh, you know, how do we believe? Does it just happen? Um, no, he, he tests us. He, he allows us to go through the fire. He, he allows us to spend time in the dark room. He allows us um, to wait, to grow, uh, to have patience. Let patience have her perfect work in us. Um, and from there... We learn to praise him. We learn to worship him. We learn to magnify him. We learn to focus on him. And through all of this, we can finally understand, or at least have a better understanding. I won't say it's, it stops with just one trial. It's, it's not like you go through one thing and it's like, I know everything there is to know about God now. I'm good, God. I don't need to go through anything else. No, there, there's more. There's always more. There will always be more to learn about him. But, um, like I said earlier, the more you experience, the more you trust in God, the more you are with God, the more you pray, the more you fast, the more you seek him, the more you go through life and walk through life with him. It's not necessarily going to get easier. The trials may get a little bit more deeper. It's like video games. The levels get harder and harder. Um, but your faith grows. It's not like you stay at this position as a child and you have to keep facing all these hard things. Your faith grows along and God continues to allow you to grow and grow and grow in him. And and that's, I mean, that's, that's what we want. That's what we should want. We, we shouldn't be okay with where we're at. Even if where we're at is in a great place with God, we shouldn't be okay. We, we should say, God, I want more of you. I need more of you. God, I desire more of you, Jesus. I put more of you in me. Help me to love like you love. Help me to speak as you speak. Help me to lead, to teach, to do as you do. Jesus, help me to be more like you. And, and so this is really my closing. Um, but God is faithful. I, I just, I tend to ramble in these things or, or get carried away. But um, if you don't think of anything else or remember anything else that I've said about tonight, um, think about this shirt. Faithful is plastered across the front. And, and just think about the times, obviously in scripture, when God's been faithful, when the Lord Jesus has been faithful. But think about how he's been faithful to you. And if you've not, I think most of you are older than I am, so you probably have gone through things, uh, more things than I have. But if you've not, for those younger ones, if you've not gone through anything serious, remember these things. Remember that God is faithful. Think about all the times that your your parents, your grandparents have poured into you. This too shall pass. God is faithful. Uh, 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 I think about my grandmother. All the time she would say, explain how God's been faithful to her. Um, we... We need to 
yes, we know that God is faithful, but we need to believe it. We need to understand it, um, and we need to hold on to it. And so um, if I don't stop now, I'm going to keep going. Um, so I leave you <laughs> with this simple concept that God is faithful. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. What a word. What a word. Are we faithful to him? Have we been as faithful to God as God's been to us? Oh, that'll mess you up right there. I I, I want, as we close tonight, I want us to sow into this young lady's life. Um, We've had several people go through the MIP in our church. Um, Pastor Bradley Baker. Pastor Brian Harris, Pastor Anna Harris, all went through MIP since I've been here. And every one of them were on our staff. And I won't be honest with you, we paid for the MIP for every one of them. Brian Githens, Kelsey Papar, they were brought to us as part of the MIP. We're not paying for their MIP. They are. I think that when we have an opportunity, we need to pour into their lives. They are, they're taking steps of faith, steps of faith of, of where they want to be. Kelsey, Kelsey is, is, is going to make a decision somewhere real soon at where she's going to grad school. Some, sometime soon. She'll, she'll, yeah, she can be 22, but... But she's going to make a decision, and, and, and that decision is going to affect her life. But as she's going through a very busy time, graduating high, high school, graduating college, planning for graduate school, she chose to go ahead and go through the MIP. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you don't understand what that is, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, and and uh, uh, I've been pretty nice to her. I'm, I'm going to cram a few more hardcore weekends into her, but but it's a lot of work at this point, and I think that we need to be faithful to bless her. And so I've got my Bible up here, and I want you as as we close, come and leave an offering. I would hate to give Kelsey $25 because that's all the people gave. Now, I'm going to tell you, Kelsey didn't preach to get an offering. I know her. That's not what she did. But I'm going to tell you something. We need to pour into her. We need to bless her. We need. I love planting seed. And, 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 and I'm just going to say it. It's one thing to plant a seed in Brian's life. His, he's almost as old as I am, but not, but almost. His life's half over, and, and, and he's looking at me like, thanks a lot. Uh, but when we plant a seed in Kelsey's life, Kelsey is our kid. Some of you have grandkids Kelsey's age. I have children Kelsey's age. I always saw to myself as young. 
I, I had a joke this morning came to me. I heard something, and I went up to tell Kelsey, and I was like, oh, she ain't going to get it. So I went and found Diane. And, and <laughs> I said, I had to tell somebody in my own age group that, that Kelsey ain't going to get this joke. But, but I want us to pour into her life. I want us to plant seed in her life. So as we close, I want you to come and, and leave an offering. How many of you have been blessed tonight? Amen, amen, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness, your grace, your peace, your mercy. Lord, I ask that you would send your victory and send your power. Let your love shine forth. Lord, you have been faithful to us. Now help us to be faithful to you. Lord, we pray that you bless this offering, Lord Jesus. Let every blessing that would come from the gift of this offering not come back into our hands, but let it rather uh, be forwarded into Kelsey's life. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give Kelsey a hug. Let her know how much you appreciate her and bring your offering to the